we're finally doing this, Micah. I've been looking forward yes. to this. Welcome. Me too. Thank you. So, you know, I thought about, you know, this podcast, the Future People Initiative. So I haven't talked much about culture. Been a couple episodes, but this one, and we were just playing with titles, and we realized that when you come up with a title for something that's talking about marketing mindset, we better freaking use marketing mindset. Keep it, keep right. it tight. So we're going to talk about applying marketing mindset to corporate culture. And in this case, all of you listening, this is an unusual episode. You know I've done almost 90 episodes. I can't imagine everyone has binged all of them. But uh, for those who have been following, you know most of the guests I've met over the last six months, maybe 12 months, as I've done a lot of outreach to find innovators in the space. And occasionally, I get to talk to someone who I've seen in action. I have seen Micah in action. And in fact, we've collaborated a number of projects over the years. And I've had the opportunity to see Micah take on culture change at Fortune 500 organizations, being able to convince creating change starting from the top. So, so Michael, like first, just like what, what inspires you to do this work? Because it's not easy. No, it's not. I think that's actually what inspires me is that it's not easy. Um, you know, I was about 15 years ago, I, I was a member of the Katzenbach uh, Center at Booz & Company, now known as Strategy N, and I got the opportunity to do this global uh, survey around culture and change. Uh, and I'd always been interested in it, but then I got this opportunity and we got all this data back and I learned so much about, you know, about culture and how you know, data can really drive the change of, of a culture and looking at behavior, science, um, with a data back perspective. And I, from then on, I was just hooked and I've been loved doing culture change ever since. And I think a big part of it is the fact that by changing a culture, you get to impact more people. Right, so I can impact a, you know, a 2,000 person organization, a 300,000 person organization. So the idea that I have the ability to help a company make 300,000 people, 2,000 people have a better experience, have a better culture, and that leads to higher performance for the company, leads to better uh, outcomes for customers. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a higher calling or a better, better job to have. Uh, maybe professional athlete, but other than that, I think that, that I have the coolest job. Well said. And, and, and I can tell every time we talk about this, every time I've seen you in action, your passion comes through. But, but let's first connect those two dots. So we, we often, I, I don't hear culture and employee experience in the same sentence enough. Can you bring those two concepts together for the audience? Uh, to me, it's as simple as, it's as, simple as the culture creates the employee experience. So whatever you want the culture to be, the employee experience should be built around that. You want innovation, you have to have an employee experience that encourages and excites people and allows people to be innovative. You want collaboration, uh, you, same thing. You have to make, create an experience that encourages people to be collaborative, to see outcomes of working together. So you can't you can't have an employee experience without defining what the culture is first. Love that. Love and that. you also started, started talking about outcomes. Um, I, I think, Micah, that's part of your recipe for success is you've convinced senior leaders to start at business outcomes first. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but, but you tell me, where do you begin these conversations to be able to be successful in convincing these C-level folks to take on 
pretty substantial change management, you know, tra transformation projects that are time-consuming, mind-share-consuming, resource-intense. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, they're all looking for the ROI, even though I know they say a lot of you know, positive things, the right things, but, but they're looking for the ROI. Am, am I wrong? No, you're right. It, it's, and it's changed over time. When I first started doing culture work, it was really more about you know, defining like, what the culture is, uh, making sure, you know, coming up with the clever names and the, and the titles and things of that nature. And I learned over time that if you just, if you're just talking about the touchy feely soft stuff, executives aren't going to listen to your point they they'll stop at, okay, you've defined what my values are. I have them on paper. I'm, I'm good. Thank you for, thank you for your yep. help. Right. But that, that's, that's like ground zero having, having your stated values. That's ground zero. What really ha makes the impact and uh, drives the organization's success is making that culture real, people living it, leaders living it, um, building it into the entire operating model. So to convince leaders, and part of the reason you know, that, I, that I came over to Teneo is that we work at this, the C-suite level. You know, we're a CEO advisory company. But to convince leaders, uh, to, you know, if I'm going to work with them all the time, you have to bring data. First of all, you have to talk about Here's data that makes your culture real. So it's, you know, turning the heart, the soft stuff hard um, and that we can track over time. So that's one thing. And then to your point, it's also about outcomes. So if we're going to create, you know, I said like innovation, if we're going to create a more innovative culture, what outcomes am I expecting as a leader? Well, I should see more ideas flowing through my organization. I should, I should see ideas coming from everywhere, all over the organization, not just one little you know, innovation pocket. Uh, those ideas should be advanced. They should lead to more market share, more customers, a better, you know, improved customer loyalty, a better view of candidates and employees of how they think about your company and the pride they take in working there. So you have to build those outcomes right from the, the start. And then when you define your culture, you identify a set of specific you know, key KPIs, key performance indicators that you're going to track over time. And I typically think those should be around customers, performance, so financial performance, and employees. Though it should be metrics around those three areas and keep it tight, you know, maybe 10 metrics that you can track over time to see if the culture is changing. That's great, that's one thing. The second thing, is it having an impact? Those are the two things you should be measuring over time. And that's where you get to those outcomes that you can put in front of leaders and say, hey, you said you wanted to be more innovative, uh, more collaborative, uh, more, you know, more um, bold, um, take more chances, be more, you know, make more informed risk. Here's, you're doing that and here's what, that's mean, what that means for your organization, your performance, your customers, your employees. Yeah, measure what matters. It's as simple as set a goal mm -hmm. and track moving toward the goal as opposed to just throw some, some big words out. Um, and Micah, just to, and for the audience listening, a couple months ago I started season three and I reached out to you and mm -hmm. I said, hey, adoption of marketing mindset and employee experience. And you're like, heck yeah, that makes sense. So maybe briefly before we start talking about the emerging market and we're going to talk about the people, the process and the technology, we got to understand who's going to do the work to adapt marketing mindset. We're going to talk about process. What are they going to do? We're not going to make it comprehensive because, you know, I wish we had 10 hours. I think we probably scratched the surface a bit in 10 hours, but in the time we have, we'll 
have some few examples. And absolutely, we're going to start talking about technology of this emerging market. But Micah, when we say marketing mindset, like what, 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 do you, what, what comes to mind for you in, in terms of applying that to, to corporate culture? I mean, the number one thing that comes to mind to me is it's not about informing people about what the culture is. It's about exciting them, right? That, that to me is the number one thing. If, if you look at any marketing campaign um, or advertising campaign, it, no company is you know, putting a campaign out there just to let people know they exist. So you, it's the same rule uh, with having a marketing mindset internally on culture. If your goal is just to tell people what your values are, uh, I mean, you should stop, right? You're, you're not going to be successful. Your goal should be to excite them so that they want to be a part of that organization, so they want to live those values, and, and so that you know, that is what you achieve as a company. This is the culture you achieve. So that's how I look at it. It's, it, it's moving from just informing to communicating to exciting through a campaign. I, I don't talk to any clients anymore about communication plans. Uh, I, don't use, I don't use those terms anymore. It's about a campaign. And that means, just like any ca marketing campaign, everything is connected from what your leaders say to the emails you send out, to the videos you produce, to the stories you tell, uh, you know, to the t-shirts you wear. Everything is connected. That's what, a, a, that's what I look at as far as a, a, a you know, marketing mindset. Yeah, just like we would f when we think about a campaign to customers. The, exactly. Exactly the kinds of questions and the holistic experience looking to create. And uh, by this point, by the way, I've lost some audience who are like, no, marketing internally isn't a thing. Meantime, though, I've gained those who are complete agreement. Like the, use, uh, the term I use, I've, I've heard a while ago, is violent agreement. Interesting <laughs> yes. choice of words. I, someone else said it. So, so Micah, we're going to dive into this head first. So we're going to say if adoption of marketing toward corporate, toward corporate culture is a thing, who owns this thing? Like we know the CMO owns the external, getting customers excited, if you will. Who owns this internally? So... It's a good question because it, there's a couple schools of thought here. To me, culture starts at the top, right? So leaders set the agenda. They have to model uh, and live and talk about the culture, right? It starts with them. But you're asking, like, who owns the, the, the marketing campaign of, like, press, you know, pushing the culture across the entire organization, including making sure those leaders are saying the right things and living the right values. You know, it, it – likely sits in probably one of two locations or together. One is you know, within the, the chief people officer or CHRO. If the chief communication officer or the communication team sits within that group, I'd say it, 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 it sits there. But I'd also say um, it sits with the CEO, right? So it's kind of a combination of the two uh, because the CEO is the main driver of the culture. Right. If the CEO doesn't believe in the culture, isn't living it, isn't talking about it, isn't taking ownership of it, including like pushing it through the campaign down to the entire organization, then uh, no, the adoption will, will suffer. So I, I think it sits between those two. And if there's just a chief communication officer, it could be owned by that person. But a lot of times that person sits within this, you know, within HR. It's a raging debate. With so many options, I have heard CMOs, CHROs, 
employer brand, VPs of employee engagement, uh, COO in some cases, yes. medical chief medical officers for certain industries. I can go on and on and on. I've heard, I've heard all. It's, I love. Go ahead. It's my company, right? It's really uh, your your company and your structure. You know, it's that uh, the old uh, consulting uh, answer. It depends, right? It's, right. It's that. Well, here here's what I found to be the next question that takes a lot of air out of the room in these conversations, even a virtual room. This is how this goes down. A chief people officer usually says, I own it. And I go, awesome. What's the composition of your team? And they go, oh, I wasn't prepared for that question. Right. I was like, well, like if you're CMO and you have no resources and you say you own getting a customers excited, are you also the designer and the content writer and the video and the data analyst and all of the things? So, Micah, if we're saying it's either the CEO or chief communication officer or chief people officer, would you agree then that this is the person that should have an entire team where I've been referring to and you tell me what you think as an internal agency? Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Um, and one of the reasons I love about our team that, that we built um, at Taneo is that I have a whole group. They're called Studio. They're amazing. They're, a, they're basically an agency. And we partner together on pretty much every culture project that we do because they have that, that creative element that I felt, I've always felt like I was missing um, when I've been doing this work in the past. Um, you know, I'm creative, but I can't, like, with ideas, but I can't necessarily, like, draw, you know, a great... I, you know, I a feel great you. Video, I'm the you same. Saying? So yeah. that, I think it's essential, and that's why that's how we go to clients, is we bring both of us together, because that's where the, they can help produce the excitement, right? I can help with the messaging and the plan and the strategy, and then um, t together we, we you know, can create the excitement and they can make amazing, amazing materials that there, there's no way you won't get people excited. I mean, if someone is listening to this and kind of goes, creative, gotcha, let's move on, just pause. Like if, if this is not, the word is excite the people, not inform, not comply, excite. Do you think they get excited by getting an email with 17 paragraphs, single-spaced? You, you or, or, hey, here's a login. Once a year into your benefits. Have a good day. Like, you go log in. Take a username, password, and then go dig. There's only 75,000 videos where we're paying for an LMS that has everything and nothing is interesting. Right. And uh, check. Yeah, so. I totally agree. I, I have had conversations with clients. I'll tell you two stories. I've had conversations with clients recently um, about, you know, about, uh, well-being and about, you know, hybrid work and all those different things, all the things they offer. And I, one of the things I told them is, yes, you probably had to offer all these things during, you know, uh, during COVID during, you know, when we were all working remotely, every single person was, but now employers are like, Oh my God, there's a thousand things. I don't know to your point. Like, I don't know which to use. So like narrow it down, just like LMS, you know, LMS, a lot of people are saying, okay, yes, you gave me access to a thousand uh, training courses, but like, I don't know which ones to take. So that's not really helpful. Like if you want people to own their careers or own their, you know, their employee experience, you got to narrow it down and make it a little easier for them. Otherwise they, they're, they're super confused and don't know what to do. And then the second thing I'd say around, you know, the excitement, there's a client I'm working with currently and we're about to launch their new, uh, their new culture that we've defined. 
And one of the things that we do differently now is it used to be like, oh, we have this big launch and here's all these things that go with this launch. There's emails, videos, uh, you know, all these different things that we launch, you know, uh, you know, t-shirts. Now we're saying, no, no, that's not the way to do it. It's a campaign. So like for several weeks, you know, maybe six to eight weeks, we're going to do something each week. Uh, you know, maybe two to three things each week that are reinforcing. Here's what the values are. Here's why you should be excited about them. Here's the direction we're going. As opposed to like this implementation day, you know, victory, claim victory on, on implementation day. That, that doesn't work. Too much, it's too much noise in the system. Nobody, nobody can remember all that information. So you have to space it out as with, like, like we've been saying, with that marketing mindset uh, that it's a campaign, not a one-time event. Right, because it's obviously working for customer world. They don't just do one advertisement once every five years <laughs> right. and calling it a day. Uh, but before I move on, and I have no financial interest here, uh, those are listening in, like, if you're looking for partners, understand and advisors to help you through the process. This, what Micah just said, should be an interesting moment for you. What creative capabilities do they possess? Because if they do not, you're not dealing with someone who has a marketing mindset. Marketers today understand the importance of the visual, of the video, of the simplicity, of the text. In fact, marketers are data-driven based on that. They'll run campaigns over and over again. Mm -hmm. This image versus that image. You know, again, before we got on, Mike and I were like, what's the title of this episode? Oh, let's make it shorter. Because people can't read a long sentence. Our first one was double the length. Right. Like, no, 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 no. Shorten that. So let's get into the process. And you've already begun to tease it. But maybe, maybe let's talk a bit more through it. I love the term campaign. Running a campaign. Because it has a beginning, it has an end, it has measurements throughout. Mm -hmm. And then when you're running this campaign, Michael, what do you think about? Do you think about channels as marketers would? Do you think about segmentation, personalization? What are the kinds of things that you think about? And no doubt, we'll get into technology. There are certain th limitations we have today um, that we hope to pass through as this emerging market takes hold and reaches scale. Talk about the process, not just with current constraints, but how are you thinking about it? Uh, so we do think about channels. We think about uh, uh, personas. We think about influencers. So those, let me tackle each one of those. So what I mean yeah. with channels, it's you, one of the things companies do is they have like, a, just like with the, tra the LMS we mentioned, they have a hundred different channels. Well, that's, and if you go out to all of them, you're gonna, you're either, wasting time or you're missing audiences. So we look at what are the key channels, where are the eyeballs, just like a marketer would, where are the eyeballs? Let's push the campaign through those eyeballs. Secondly on channels, we think about are there new channels that we could create to show people this culture change or this transformation or this, this campaign is different, right? So, um, you know, my, my, my design colleagues uh, who I work with, Stefan Merkin, who's excellent at this, he uses uh, Instagram internally, right? And that's, he's, he's told me about how that campaign using that channel is very successful. There's other you know, channels. We could create something new. We can do, uh, you know, one, one thing that you and I talked about in the past is nudges. We could do it through teams. We could do it through um, different technologies if we can get to that. But, you know, those, like, you really think about where the eyeballs are and where you can move eyeballs to. And then turn all the other channels off. Don't worry about those. And then, of course, communicate as much and often as possible because 
there's so much noise out there in the system that it's hard for people to hear it and remember. Um, and to that point, keep, we were just talking about the title, keep everything short and uh, pithy and you know, really, really digestible, right? Don't make an email that's seven paragraphs, make it one. Um, have, when you define your values, make, make them memorable, right? Make them things, you know, uh, run it like you own it. Um, select to have an effect, things like that. Like the really easy to remember type, um, type messaging. The second that I mentioned um, is around personas. So I think for too long when people think about change management, like, oh, we gotta list all the stakeholders, understand how they're impacted, um, what, what we do, uh, what, we, what we need them to action to take. The reality is you do the stakeholder impact or stakeholder map, it goes nowhere. Literally, I think about change management products I've done. It's like that thing just goes off to the side. It becomes a check the box action. So what I like to think about is think about the you know, personas or the audiences. Who are the different people, the different groups of people that we need to hit? And I don't, what I mean by that is we're not like thinking about finance and HR. We're thinking about, uh, we're thinking about frontline people. We're thinking about managers. We're thinking about leaders, right? See, see right there, I even shortened it. There's three groups. Let's focus on those three groups instead of you know, a list of 20 different stakeholders. And then the third thing that I think is essential and differentiating is influencers. Just like in today's marketing world, and we, you know, we know all about influencers, companies leverage influencers to, you know, to drive people to their products. Let's do the same thing within a company. We, for every single pro company project we work on, we conduct organizational network analysis. And for those that don't know what that is, it's basically a data-backed approach to identifying your informal network, your social network. And that allows you a couple things. It allows you to understand what that network is. So forget the lines and boxes, the hierarchy. This is like how we actually work. The, set, the second and most important thing, it tells you who the influencers are. Who do people go to to learn new ways of working to hear messaging, to understand, to translate what leaders are saying to what it means for me. And so we identify that network and we create uh, you know, what we'd call like a culture carrier network or a change agent network or an influencer network, whatever you wanna call it is fine. We bring those people together and we share with them what are the right messaging, what are the behaviors we want, how do we want you to communicate with employees? Because they do this already naturally. So we're basically just, leveraging what these people already do naturally because they're influencers, right? And then we use them as a two-way feedback loop to understand, to hear stories, to hear how our plans land, how our campaign's working. And so we get that feedback and we get those stories. And what do you think we do with that? We share those stories as part of the campaign. And then we keep pushing and pulling from that influencer network to drive the change. And that could last, the campaign might be, you know, six to eight weeks, but the influencers are you know six to 12 months and it allows you to reach the entire organization versus just selecting change agents based on you know who leaders like that's not data backed and that's typically 50 percent right as far as the network of people you need this allows us to pick the right people that reach all corners of the organization i mean i know that when you first introduced me to it i think it was three years ago organizational network analysis and you showed me here's how it works the idea of replicating the influencer impact from customers to internal was mind-blowing. Like, whoa! 
And then, Micah, for those who are listening, I think it'd be great for just a quick double click on that. What are the factors involved in order to identify someone as an influencer? Sure. So there's two different ways you can do it. There's what they call active and passive. So passive uh, is basically metadata. It's, you know, um, think of like Microsoft Workplace Analytics, where you're, you're collecting all the data based on, you know, who you email, who you chat with, who you have meetings with. And just for those worried about big brotherish here, they don't, the data, it doesn't look at actually what you say. It's just looking at the connections, right? The other way, I'm more a fan of active, passive works as well. Active is just survey based and you only need to ask like one to three questions. And basically you ask questions or things of like, who do you go to most often to get work done? Who do you go to most often to learn new ways of working? Things like that. And what you do is you allow um, in the survey people to enter up to five people. And that the reason I stress that up to is that's important because um, it'll, it allows them, it makes them prioritize in their mind who they go to. It also shows you how connected the organization is as a whole. If on average you're getting, you know, people are only selecting two versus, you know, four or five, that shows you that you're less connected as an organization. Anything above a 3.5 average shows you are a very highly connected organization. And I prefer that the, the active way is because you can write the questions that you want. So if it's about uh, innovation, you could say learn new ways of working. If it's about um, key talent, you could ask a question about like who's a key talent we don't want to lose. That's, that's why I prefer that way because you can be very targeted in what you ask. Love it. Uh, I'm resisting triple clicking because then the rest of our conversation will be on organizational network analysis. Just fascinating. And those who are listening in, just feel free to pop a question below this video. Mike is part of the community. He's super supportive of this emerging market. If you've got a question about this or anything else you're hearing so far, um, just ask away. But there's something else you said or we discussed earlier and I was meaning to, to go a little deeper, segmentation. And you mentioned a couple of groups. Um, so from a marketing mindset, the way that I think about it is, uh, you know, uh, I'm a founder of a digital marketing agency from 11 years ago. I always think about it as a marketer. And someone, if, if they said to me, how far would you want to segment? Like, how far would you want to be? I would say, what, what's possible? Can I get to an individual level? Can I get to a level where I meet them where they are? And that could be, you said, front lines, but also it could be manager, but also it could be recently came on. You know, they're being onboarded Agreed. or they were just on a, a sick for a week and I'm meeting them because all of these things are super important. Now, obviously, data, how much, how much does it cost to do this much segmentation? How practical is it? Taking aside the practicality, which technology will solve over time, right. AI, no doubt, is going to empower it. Micah, how far would you go down the segmentation and personalization in, in, the, in your utopian vision? I would, I, I look at it less of how far I would go down and I, I'm more of uh, the mindset of, you know, the concept of moments that matter. You know, you're talking about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, new, um, onboarding, new hires, you're talking about, uh, you know, people coming back from maternity leave, uh, you know, someone being promoted. I would more look at it in that manner as, as opposed to, you know, um, the individual because that there's there's groups of pe people going through each one of those moments and that if you structure it like that of like how do you want to touch those people how, what messaging do you want to have i think that allows you to be more successful um as a as a marketer um and it's 
part of it, it's, it's twofold. It's one is pushing the message to them that they need in that moment. So I think that gets to your point of like getting really specific because you're, you're getting to the moment that they're at. And the other is listening to them. And when I think about that, so this, this I have a, a, a different view of than I think a lot of people. Um, I think more people are moving this way. And companies have been for a while now doing the you know, annual survey uh, or even some of them are gone more quarterly and it's around you know, the engagement survey. I personally believe that engagement surveys are not really that helpful. The reason being is that it gives you a point in time and you're asking about how happy or satisfied someone is with an organization, with, the, with one of these elements that we just talked about. I actually think what you should be assessing is the experience. Going back to my point about experience, we, when we do a diagnostic, we, we don't do employee engagement, we do experience. Meaning, what are you actually experiencing on a day-to-day basis? So when you think about culture, are you experiencing the culture that we say we have on a day-to-day basis? If not, what are you experiencing so that we understand how we can either move the organization or you towards experiencing what we say our stated values are or change our values because it's not really who we are as an organization. That's how I look at it. It's not about engagement, it's about experience. And you can measure that um, through all those moments that matter, right? So that's why you can measure it kind of all the time and be very targeted. The other thing I'll say about that, um, and there's no controversy here, I think everyone would agree with this, is that if you're gonna ask employees what they're thinking, what they want, you better come back to them and say, here's what you heard and here's what you're doing. Too many companies, especially the annual survey uh, uh, companies, do that annual survey and never come back to employees and say, here's what we heard and here's the action you're taking. You honestly, you're probably better off not, li- not listening or asking employees because all you're doing is eroding trust. And the same yeah, thing sure. is, as a marketer, right? You would say, if you go out and ask customers what they want, uh, right. or what they like about their, their products or what they want more of, and you just ignore it and don't actually do it, make any changes based on what they said, why'd you ask? So that, right. that to me, that's two things. It's focus on the experience. What is the experience they're having day to day? And then tell them you heard them and show them the changes that you're making. I also think it's worth highlighting that we're moving from talking about engagement to experience. That's just... That in itself is just an, an interesting concept because employee engagement has been a thing. Yep, it's it's, it's been a thing for many for many years. And uh, anyway, I'm getting distracted. My mind today is I'm, I'm all over. So, Mike, I want to talk about technology next. So, people, process, technology. Well, I often think about technology from a customer perspective, and I think to myself: Imagine a moment where you had no Google Ads, no Facebook Ads, no retargeting technologies. No way for you to take all of the data, they're called CDPs now, customer data platform, no way to take in all the data across the entire experience and then making it actionable. What would marketers do? Well, that world would suck. Be really, really difficult to do the job. So talk to me about technology both. You know, you can mention current state, but I'm really curious about as this emerging market picks up more and more momentum, where do you think it's going to go? What tools do these people need, whom we just described, who own it, in order to do the work, the process, follow the process that we just talked sure. about? Talk about technology, please. So first I would say 
goes back to the point we were making earlier. You need to narrow down your technology. I, I can't tell you how many companies I talk to and they have like ev everything. Uh, you know, the Teams, Slack, uh, um, you know, Viva, Engage, like so many different things. And I'm like, when I ask them like, well, how do you communicate with your employees? It's hard for me to understand because they do it in, uh, you know, through all these different channels. And, you know, to my point about eyeballs, I'm like, well, which one are the employees actually listening to? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's narrowing down so that employees don't have as many options of how they how you communicate and how they communicate with each other. Right. I think on a day to day basis, just myself, I communicate basically through uh, chat. Right. Like Teams or Slack um, text message. You know, my colleagues and I text message each other and email. And then sometimes we call each other. Right. But that's you know, that's rarer nowadays. So like, that's three channels that you should be going after me. Now, why, like, why don't uh, a lot of companies send messages via text to their employees? Like, you don't see that very often. Everybody's you know, on their phone getting text messages, right? That's like one of the main ways to communicate. So I'm not saying those are the three to go by. I'm just saying when I think about myself, what I use on a day-to-day -day basis, I always try to put myself in, you know, an employee, in an employee's shoes as part of my job. So I think that's step one. Companies should think about what are... You know, how can we narrow it down? We don't need to have, t uh, you know, 20 different ways to touch our employees because it gets too confusing for them anyway. So that's step one. And then I think it's a little bit of what we were talking about, we started to talk about, is being targeted. Um, and sending not, you don't need to send blast messages to everyone all the time. It's think about each person and ind individualize it for their their situation, their moment that matters, right? Whatever moment they're in. And that's what the messaging should be. So, it, you know, for example, you know, uh, you know, I've seen companies nowadays, the, the really you know, progressive ones are when you come back from maternity leave, when you uh, come back from, you know, leave or come back from vacation or get promoted, they send a targeted message to those people um, and saying, you know, welcome back. They ask them, is there anything we could have done better while you were gone? And how can we help you? Um, come back into the fold and be, you know, be as successful as you were before. So th there's those type of messaging. And then the, the, the employee-wide messaging is what we talked about earlier. Should be short, should be exciting, uh, excite them, and shouldn't just be about informing them. If you're going to inform them, just make it like a three-bulleted list. Here's three things you need to know, right? Because, you know, we all have short attention spans. And then... I think it goes back to listening and, uh, and applying what you hear. Um, so when employees are giving you feedback, and they can give you feedback, honestly, on a daily basis in the future. They can tell you how they're feeling, what's going on, where they need help, and actually helping them uh, and supporting them uh, you know, uh, in any way you can uh, by, based on their ask. So I think those are some of the things. And I, I'm sure, you know, I'm not the technology expert. I know there's other platforms out there. There's a lot of... Uh, I've seen these, you know, more of these well-being platforms that a couple of our partners we work with are doing a great job of like guiding people through mental well-being, you know, giving them tips of, of, you know, hey, stand up, don't sit in front of your computer all day, go take a walk. Um, so thinking, like showing that you it, care about your employees by supporting their well-being, supporting their career, like, but targeted. I think that's the difference. It's like the blast emails, the blast um, messaging it's just it's just not as effective because again it's just more noise that people aren't going to read or listen to totally 
And, and let's, let's apply the following lens conceptually. We talked about running campaigns. We talked about running campaigns across platforms that are being used, where the eyeballs mm -hmm. are. We talked about running campaigns that are segmented based on moments that matter. So if there was a technology that we would describe, it would follow the, this kind of a process. I'd like to be able to run a campaign across the following channels, like Google Ads would, you know, you could, do you want it to show up here and here and there? I'd like the following rules to take place. Then I'd like the following insights that are part of it. You know, would you think, like, I'm kind of leading the witness here a little bit because I'm, I'm getting excited because you know technology is the space where I love to ideate. But, like, how do, what else am I missing and how to describe the perfect technology that would exist in the future or series of technologies that would allow us to run incredibly relevant campaigns that are going to be super impactful? I 100% agree because uh, the more you know, better you know your people or your customers, in this case your employees are your customers, the better, the more targeted and more effective your campaign's gonna be. So that's like using the, the, those platforms, those, the technology to better understand your employee, it's just gonna continue to improve um, the campaigns. The other thing I'd say that I neglected and you made me think of is making it interactive, right? Mm. It, to, you, you can't have messaging or communications that just one way all the time. You need to make it interactive. And what I mean by that is the, um, some of the things, I think of like when we, when I used, uh, you know, Pro Habits, one of the companies that you, you founded um, in the past, one of the things I loved about it, and I, other, other platforms do this, is the, you had the leaderboard, right? It was, it, mm -hmm. people would commit to a behavior, and then on the back end, they could see the people running the campaign, you know, like ourselves in the back end could see, What's the leaderboard? Who's done, who's done the most behaviors? Who's committed to the most behaviors? Who's done the most in a row, right? So it creates you know, some sort of inter interactiveness where I, it's not just about me getting a nudge to, to live this behavior, but it also creates a little competitiveness and that's part of human nature. So you know, relying, under, it's what I mean by understanding the human, understanding the people so that you can pull on that and make it interactive because people were checking like, oh, and who's number one? Uh, who's you've done the most in a row, right? Those that type of interactiveness is extremely valuable in a campaign, so it's not done to you. And that's one of the biggest things that we've found. Change management people, change experts have found the best way for transformations to be successful is to not have the change done to you, but with you. That's essential. That's the only way um, a transformation can be successful. All the transformations, you know, they say seventy percent fail. Um, it, it, I, it could be that number, it could be even higher, is because change is being done to people, not with them. When you bring them along the process, make them part of it, they're bought in. They get excited. Again, the excitement that, that they want to be part of the change. It's also common sense for us as just people, as humans. We don't want to be led, meaning we like do right. this. No, we, we want to choose to be a, a part of it. And also the motivational aspects, that's why... Facebook is worth gajillion right. dollars. Is, is, you know, it's people wanting to, to see what others are doing and, and be recognized. Maybe a lot of our, is our negative impulses, some of it are positive impulses, but, but the idea is it's motivating us to do things. Right. I agree. Um, so, 
Mike, I could, I could go on and on with you, um, but I'm looking at time and I was like, oh, where did 40 minutes go by? And, and, and again, for those who are listening, I remind you, Mike is part of our community. You're watching this in our community. So right below, there's a comment box, ask a question. But Mike, before I let you go, um, you know, those who are listening are all innovators. They're all on this journey to adapt marketing mindset, you know, whether it be they look at it as employee experience or a specific moment that matter. I've got episodes on recruiting and onboarding and wellness and benefits or culture, corporate culture. And uh, often it's an uphill battle. This is probably a shocker for you to hear. Right. Creating change is an uphill battle. Mike is like, no, it's always yeah. easy. Piece of cake. Get everyone on board in, in a moment. What advice would you give as they're all, you know, facing the challenges in order to adapt marketing mindset, in order to bring these kind of revolutionary concepts into the into sure. the organizations? There's a couple things. One I mentioned earlier, but I I think it's super important is bring data. When it comes to executives, they they when it, driving change, they need data to convince them to show them that where they're at today and that the needle is moving, is that the change is happening. So uh, data is essential. Um, you know, that's why I mentioned, you know, use organizational network analysis because it's a data-backed approach and you put it in front of leaders and they're like, whoa, this is my organization, this is how it works, these are the people that I need to rely on to get change done, yes. So that's, that's number one. Number two is make sure they understand that change, to get people to change their behaviors, you have to focus on the uh, emotional and not just the rational. Too many, and what I mean, that's where I was talking about the excitement. Too often um, to drive, to get people to change, to get people to live the culture that you want and create that high performing culture. It's about here telling people, like informing them, here's what it is. Uh, here's, here's, the, you know, here's the values that we live. Here's what they mean for our organization, what it does uh, for our results. That doesn't excite people, that doesn't motivate people. You have to create an emotional connection to it. What does it mean for me? Um, what are the outcomes that I will get? What are the outcomes I'll be, to be able to deliver to my customers? Because that's who I care about every day. Those are the people I work with. Uh, that's important. And then the third thing is building it into the entire operating model, the ecosystem of the organization. And what I mean by that is that if you are saying we are going to be innovative, we're going to be we're going to be agile, right? Whatever the case may be, whatever you want your company to be, if you're not reinforcing that through your rewards program, meaning rewarding people for living those behaviors, if you're not assessing them against it in your performance management, if you're, you don't have processes, if you want to be innovative, you don't have a process for innovation to come in through across the organization um, and you don't streamline the approval, you know, approval pro approvals to get an innovative idea through, no one's going to be innovative, right? So that's what I mean by building into the entire operating model so that you're reinforcing the behaviors, the change that you want. Otherwise, again, just words on a paper. And that's what a lot of organizations have, unfortunately, is words on a paper and then a completely different culture and a set of behaviors that people live. So I think those are three things that I'd focus on. Uh, data, you know, the emotional element, and then building, it in, building the change into every element of your organization. Love it. And on behalf of you know all of the f folks in the audience and then the, the community, just Micah, thank you, thank you for coming in, thank you for sharing your brilliance. Um, I'd love to follow follow up and probably do another episode because you, you continue to learn and evolve and change. 
but uh, Micah. Thank you. Thank it you. was a really fun. It was a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. So thank you so much. All right. Over and out.